When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, New friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com You're listening to The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. They tried to find a girl from Ipanema, but couldn't. So it's me, Alison Rudd, welcoming you to the game from The Times. This is the first of six special shows during this year's World Cup from Brazil. Joining me in the studio is Julian Laurent. And down the line, all the way from Rio, is Jonathan Northcroft from the Sunday Times. Jonathan, there's not much point having you on the line from Rio unless you can tell us what it is you can see from your location right now. Well, it's almost a cliche, really, because I'm looking outside and I can see Copacabana Beach stretching in front of me, uh, beautiful white sands with um, a rolling ocean. If I look to the right, the bay sweeps along with um, high-rise buildings and all the way around to Ipanema Beach, which I'm going to try and have a look at later on. Beyond that, that's where England is staying at another inlet. If I look to the left, there's uh, Sugarloaf Mountain, and uh, that's where the training ground is. And the other thing I can tell you is there's supposed to be a fan park on the beach. I'm looking at that right now, and it looks like they started building it maybe a couple of days ago, completely unfinished. But um, we might find that in uh, a theme of the World Cup. Well, you know, People still think no one really landed on the moon. I, I don't think you're really in Brazil. I think they've set up a studio outside <laughs> well, your window. It, look, it looks too much like a postcard to actually exist. And I, I did arrive overnight, so I haven't actually stepped outside yet. Maybe it doesn't exist. Right, well, let's look back at three England friendlies and what they might have told us about what we can expect from Roy Hodgson's team. There was a perfunctory victory over Peru, followed up by uh, draws against uh, Ecuador and Honduras. They're three separate games, but the same themes emerged from all three, I would suggest, Jonathan. And, and one of those main themes was, was Wayne Rooney 
what's going on with him? Is he fit? Is he a favourite of Roy Hodgson? Did did you learn different things from the three games? Are you, as a whole, are you left feeling differently about him than you did before the friendlies began? One thing that became clear in, 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 in these three friendlies is that you know Roy Hodgson isn't going to go to the tournament and suddenly start experimenting. The thing he's proudest of, he, 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 he says, as a manager, is the way that he can develop shape and, and pattern in a team. And you know he's got his four-two-three-one. He's been drilling it since he started for England. He used these friendlies really just to finesse that with different, you know, younger some of the younger players in, in, in the different positions. But it was the same shape. And it's interesting because there was a case for perhaps playing a, a midfield diamond against Italy to counteract what they've got in midfield. But it's quite clear that, that Roy's not going to you know, do anything newfangled as that. He's going to stick to his old ways and he's going to play the sort of familiar England pattern that we see, albeit with slightly different players to the ones that are played in the Euros. When he was preparing for the Euros, Jonathan, uh, he mm. got away with a lot because it was the fast turnaround. He didn't have long to yeah. work with the team. And so the emphasis was on keeping your shape and discipline. And he's, it, it sounds to me like if you distill Roy Hodgson's approach to England management, he's done exactly the same thing again. Is that fair? I suppose he maybe has. He's, he's perhaps baked the same cake with different icing on it. Uh, I mean, he, he couldn't have, he couldn't do much during the Euros. You're right. He 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 was afflicted by injuries. He'd just taken over, and we all accepted that he had to play safety first and just make sure the team was organised. And, and he certainly did that. What's interesting about Roy is that I think, and you think of his Fulham team when it was actually acting really well. He can't, the forward players can play some quite sort of free-flowing, exciting football when they've got the ball. He allows the front four to sort of interchange and, and do what they like. What, what he prior, seems to prioritise as a manager is what they do when they lose the ball, and that's where he's quite cautious and conservative, and that's where a lot of the debates we, we're having at the moment about who should play for England, you know, should Barkley get a chance, should Sterling get a chance, that will be informed, I think, by Roy's desire without the ball, to be super organised. And for that 4-2-3-1 to really fall back into an almost 4-5-1 and, and block off the opposition. Um, if, it's hard to know whether to call Droy conservative at the moment, because you know, tactically maybe he is, or, or you know, say that he's being bold because he's picking so many young players. And I guess the emphasis of what happens on the pitch will... will, will you know, this whole tournament's going to form our opinion of Roy Hodgson, really. Um, and, and it'll be interesting to see you know, how, this, how, how this works against the different teams. Even in those friendlies, I was disappointed by what uh, Hodgson did in those three games. I thought he, was, he could have tried more things, different things, shaped the teams a bit differently. And instead, it was all, seems to me almost the same story. I mean, you're there, Jonathan, but Julian, I mean, you've seen all the press conferences as well. It, it strikes me that... And I don't really want to say it, but I feel I have to say it, that Roy looks like he's coming under slight pressure already. He's the, accusing the media of sophistry. I mean, it shows that he's well-read. But, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's, it, and, and he's, he's accused everyone of getting obsessed with plays he doesn't feel in the mood to talk about. I'm not sure he needs to sound that chippy so early. Would no. you agree? Yeah, I agree. And you know what? There's a funny thing. Back in May, early May, the EFA organised a, a press day for Roy with the foreign press. Yeah. 
And the French had a one-on-one with him. The only thing he talked about was the pressure from the media, how he was not reading the papers because the papers was always too harsh, because they expected too much, because of this, because of that, and the media, this, and the media. The only thing he talked about was that. And I thought, man, there's like two months to go before the first game or something like six weeks or something. And already in his head, it was was the only thing he was talking about. And I did think, surely, the closest we're going to get to the first game, the more sort of paranoid it will become, the more pressure it will feel from the media if he's already thinking like that. And it, it, proved, it proved me wrong. Right, sorry. Jonathan, have you picked up on him getting a bit, well, nervous, I suppose? Well, there's always been a, a thin-skinned element to, to Roy Hodgson. He'd even admit that himself. I think he, he, I remember him saying to me once in an interview that the biggest mistake he'd made in management had been when he went to Blackburn and he had his big chance in the Premier League first time round. He, he, he said he was very, very... You know, snippy with the press, and and he let it all get to him, and he said, you know, I've moved on from that, and I, I uh, you know, I'll never do that again. But I think he think that interview was about five or six years ago, and and he can't get away from being slightly sensitive. He doesn't care very much about what what journalists think about you know tactics and, and what he should be doing with his team, and he he can't disguise that at times. But I'd have to say that if you compare the build up to this tournament to previous tournaments, Roy's had quite reasonable treatment. You know, you think of the last days of Sven, you think of, of, of Capello under siege in South Africa, you think of how McLaren was pilloried. We all quite like Roy, and I think that's reflected in, in the coverage. It's generally been positive, everyone's latched on to the, the fact of the young players, and you know any sort of grumpiness is, is really Roy's nature. But I have to say as well, there was a press conference in Miami before he left where we saw a different Roy Hodgson. He, he was really funny and charming, and he was talking about how uh, you know Steve Peters is taking the place of his wife, and Steve's now the one that nags him to to act his age, and so forth. And he had you know a room full of of the American media eating out of the palm of his hand, really. Thank you. Every week we're going to have an England Player of the Week. So Julian, you can kick us off with this one. Who's your Player of the Friendlies? My Player of the Week is Ross Barkley. From a French point of view, I don't understand how can Ross Barkley not start for England in this World Cup. I find it baffling, crazy. I just, I just can't believe you. We've got such a talent. Yes, he's young. Yes, he's like he lacks a bit of experience. But why not starting him? And the guy, it's not if he was even lazy. When you, when England would lose the ball, he would trail back. He would come and help the midfield like he's, he's done with Everton this season. And I just, it's baffling me why he's not, start, he's not going to start. I'm really disappointed. Jonathan. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, Ross Bartley had was sensational in 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 the warm-up games. There's no doubt about that. And he was the, the eye-catching England player who, every time he got the ball, really created terror for the opposition. Just that ability to surge past people with um, you know two-footedness, sheer physical strength, uh, and an element of of unpredictability. But the fact is, he's not going to play for England um, from the start. Certainly not against Italy. Whatever we think, Roy Hodgson is not going to do that. So the player I'd pick is actually Jordan Henderson, because I think looking at the World Cup, it was really important that Henderson came to the boil and has a big tournament alongside Stephen Gerrard. We know Stephen is going to be the creative fulcrum deeper, but we also know that he's going to need legs beside him. And Henderson really gave a mature performance against Honduras that showed he can accept the responsibility at this level. And the interesting thing, of course, is he's got that... Duracell bunny, relentless performance nature to him, 
we wondered if he could do it in the heat. Uh, and despite, I think the England staff actually had to to peel the shirt off his back. He'd covered it in so much sweat after the Honduras match, but it certainly didn't stop him bombing around just as normal. So I think Henderson's emergence is very important for England over these three games. <laughs> My England player of the week is Stephen Gerrard because... He's been statesmanlike and terribly like a captain mm. ought to be. And the way he was sort of doing a lot off the pitch and on the pitch, arm round Raheem when he was sent off and then answering questions beautifully at press conferences and always the man there saying, I, I'm prepared to receive the ball. I think he does that too much. I think he, you know, he, he doesn't have to be the player who's always there to mop up, but he's prepared to do it. And uh, he hasn't hit top form yet but uh, in terms of what you expect from a captain during the friendlies he has done it I'm Alison Rudd and you're listening to the Game World Cup podcast from the Times so let's have a look at matters that do not centre around England one feature we're going to have on a weekly basis is the Panini Sticker Player of the Week let me explain who has in the friendlies building up to the World Cup if you'd open just your packet and you'd found you'd got that player, you would be dead chuffed because he was the one you were just hoping, hoping you would be able to add to your collection. Julian. And my panelistica of the week is a Frenchman, obviously, Antoine Griezmann, the young uh, left-winger from Real Sociedad who's who's having a great debut with France. He made his, his first cap in March against the Netherlands, played, played OK. But in the last three games, the three games pre-World Cup for France, he's been outstanding. He scored three goals. He's a very pacey, very good with the ball, on the ball. His movement is good. He's got a very good team spirit. And, and I think he's a, really a, a player to watch for the future. Jonathan? Well, I'll give you a player from the sort of opposite age of the, the, the spectrum in terms of international experience. Miroslav Klose, what an incredible record he has. In the warm-up games against Armenia, he scored his 69th international goal for Germany, and that meant that he broke Gerd Müller's record. And I, I, I just find that jaw-dropping because, you know, I, I, I remember being a kid reading about international football, looking through all the statistics, and, you know, Gerd Müller alongside Pelé was the gold standard of goal-scoring. His statistics were, were, were right out there. Um, and, you know, my dad would tell me about this incredible German striker. Nobody will ever be like him again. Well, Klose has just broken his record. Um, he might not be the same level of player, perhaps. It's difficult to know. Um, he doesn't always do anything, do, do things in club football. Um, although, you know, his record's actually OK there, but it's, it, it's not spectacular. But on the international stage, 69 goals for Germany uh, to break that in the warm-up. And I think he's 36 years old today, so he's just a remarkable player. Mine would be Arroyo from Ecuador, simply because if a player scored a goal of that zip-like quality during the actual tournament, you'd be talking about it for days and days afterwards, and you'd be mm. chuffed to bits to think, I've got him in my mm. collection. And, you know, I hope he does. I hope he does. <laughs> so we've picked our players from outside of England that have um, made an impact on us. But I know, Julian, you've been fascinated by the fact that there have been an awful lot of injuries. England have got lucky. I mean, we've had Oxlade-Chamberlain. looks like he's going to be OK. But there have been a lot of other teams who have been less fortunate in the build-up to, to, the, to the World Cup with injuries. So on the one hand, you've got Luis Suarez, who seems to be making a miracle recovery and will be fit in time for the start of the tournament. But there are quite a few, um, quite a, quite, there are quite a few countries who have not been so lucky, Julian. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it's probably a debate for another time because we, we, we don't have much time. But it would be interesting to, to wonder why those 
those big injuries have happened, you know, so close to the tournament this year and probably more than, than in other World Cup years. But if you think about Marco Rose, about Frank Ribery, Falcao, Montolivo, uh, Shirokov. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The, uh, the Russian captain, Van der Vaart as well. We said Oxlade-Chamberlain will probably make it. Suarez as well, but they could have been out too. And, and I mean, obviously the, the, the game now is so demanding. They play so many games at such a high level, you know, with, with the Champions League, with the domestic league as well, and the Cups and everything, that I think you get to a point where... It's almost inevitable, if you see what I mean. Some some players obviously have been more unlucky than others, but at some point it's inevitable that some will, will pay the price of those high-demanding games over and over again. And I do think that, especially for England, I think a winter break, especially in World Cup years, at some point, in my opinion, have to happen. Otherwise, you will always have uh, you know players struggling with fitness or, you know, result of the national team being disappointed in, in World Cups because you, I don't think England can, can have a World Cup here without a winter break. We, we might end up winning the World Cup because we have the I fewest so. injuries of all. You never Maybe, know. Maybe, but it's, it's interesting though, I think. <laughs> Jonathan, what, I mean, are you, are you very, very focused on the England team out there or are, is news from other camps filtering through to you? Yeah, well, I mean, being in, in that England bubble is, is, is a danger for, for anyone covering the team. Because we, you know, we do get so um, caught up in, in, in the story surrounding the camp, and it's important to try and bear in mind there's 31 other teams at a tournament, and to, to look at football outside of that. Twitter helps because you know you can, there's a lot of waiting around, covering England, sitting at press conferences, waiting for players, and instead of being closed off during those times, you know you're you're on, you're, you're looking at what's happening other teams. I think you know it's important to bear it in mind reporting in England, and one thing. I one example would be friendlies, you know, in the warm-up games you can see England and think, gosh, you know, they're not really playing at a level that they should be going into the tournament. But, you know, I look at what's happened to Brazil in the warm-up, getting getting booed off um, when they played Serbia. I saw Holland play Ghana two weeks ago and, uh, and Holland, Holland were, you know, it was an appalling game and Holland really were quite stodgy. Now it's time for the Miller moment of the week, which I'd probably better explain. It's named after Roger Miller, who emerged as the star of Italian 90 and the point is no one expected that you'd be lying if you knew in advance that everyone would be talking about Roger Miller of Cameroon so the Miller moment of the week is basically a who knew who knew and my uh, Miller moment of the week has been the unfurling of a banner by the Argentinians saying um, the Argentine team they have the banners saying you know the Falklands are ours and although I know this happens at um, political and sporting events in Argentina 
I, I really did. I did, really did not expect the Falklands to be an issue during this World Cup. So that is my Miller moment of the week, Julian. My Miller moment of the week is Southampton FC. Who would have thought a year ago that uh, Morgan Schneiderlin would be at the World Cup for France? That Shola Lana and Lambert would be would be at the World Cup with England. I think they've done an amazing work this season with Pochettino and and the rest of the of the of the club. Don't forget Yoshida as well with Japan, Lovren with Croatia, and Jay Rodriguez without the injury might or could have at least be with England as well. So, just all that proves the the great work that Southampton are doing. Jonathan, do you have a Miller moment of the week? I do. It would be the last ten minutes of England versus Honduras, watching Leighton Baines charge around the pitch trying to decapitate the opposition. <laughs> <laughs> Who'd have thought nice old Leighton Baines would turn into a, an enforcer? But he did. I'm Alison Rudd and you're listening to the Game World Cup podcast from The Times. Okay, this is the big moment. England v Italy. Now, I have been thinking about this a lot, you'd be glad to know, and it it struck me that during the European Championships two years ago, Perlo was an entity that England didn't really get a handle on so what was going to happen this time and this is this is my main reason for not thinking that for thinking that Wayne Rooney shouldn't play because I don't I don't he had a, a dress rehearsal if you like playing in the number 10 role and it's the number 10 that would hassle Perlo who plays incredibly deep um, and I don't think Rooney has the currently has the energy or the selflessness to, to do that and he, he proved he couldn't do that in the European Championships but there is there are rumours that um, Prandelli might he knows we're all thinking this. He knows I'm not the only person in England wondering about the Perlo problem. So he's thinking maybe he'll push Perlo further forward and just baffle us completely. So it's turning into an absolutely wonderful tactical conundrum. Julian, what I mean, what what are the key tactical points? Is it the Perlo conundrum, or am I over, overplaying that one? No, I think I think you're right with with Perlo. There's there's definitely a bit of that. I think um, I think Pondelli might have maybe probably would have thought about another um, balance for his team to play maybe Pirlo a bit higher with Thiago Mota sitting down a bit. Verratti has been really good in in, uh, the friendly games as well. I I don't know. I I just think that Prandelli, there's one thing he doesn't want is lose that game. A draw would be very good for him. And I think Roy is thinking exactly the same. I think that's what we saw from the the friendly games from England as well. I think the, the way, and I'm not sure Jonathan would agree, but the way... Roy approached those games was clearly to, like he said, to work on the shape to make sure that the shape is right against Italy, that England don't concede. And that because a draw, I think, would be a good entrance in the competition after a game against Italy. I think the wide players will play a key role in that, both for both sides, to be fair, but especially for England, who whoever plays wide offensively, whether it's Welbeck and Lalana, whether it's Welbeck and, and Oxford Chamberlain, if he's fair, which, which I doubt, but I think they will have a big role both offensively and defensively to trail back when they lose the ball, but also to create danger when they have the ball. And that's not that's exactly what England lacked a bit, especially offensively in, at the Euros against Italy. Uh, Jonathan, do you think if, if Prandelli does try and mystify us and, and Perlo does play in a di- uh, higher up the pitch. Do you, I mean, do you think that would throw Roy? Do you think there are different backup plans for, for what Italy do? Who's following who here? Who Who is going to take the lead tactically? I mean, is it important that Roy doesn't look like he's just reacting to whoever and however Italy set up? Well, I, I mean, I think just to refer back to the, the earlier point about Roy, I, I think Roy is going to be Roy whatever happens and whoever he plays. Perlo further forward would worry me because I think when England have really struggled, not just under Hodgson, but in any tournament, it's been 
when the midfield's been flooded. Um, and I can see a case for De Rossi maybe slotting in, in a deeper position. And Pirlo just being able to use that big gap that you will have between Henderson, Gerrard, and then the, the line in front of them. Because there's another thing that Roy doesn't like his midfield players to, to sort of go ahead of the ball, really. So there would be quite a lot of space for Perlo to play in. And he is going to be the most important element. You know, he is he is the best footballer, let's face it, that's going to be of the, of the 22 playing. He's, he's the one that can, can bend the game to his will. Um, I'm not sure if Montalivo's injury is actually a good thing for England either, because Verratti is very good. I'm sure Julian mm. has seen plenty of, of, of him for PSG. Yeah. I mean, he's a very, very good player, and, and if he comes in, um, that will be very, very difficult for, for England. I also agree with you, Alison. I wouldn't play Wayne Rooney in the middle. I don't think he does have the, the legs of, of getting to Perlo when the Italians have got the ball, if Perlo's playing deep. And that's why I'd play, I'd play Sterling there, albeit that um, Danny Welbeck actually looked quite good in that role too in the warm-up. But, but you know, for me, it, it would be Sterling. If I, oh, well, that's interesting. If I that's interesting. Because I, well, huh, it's all about debate. I think in terms of having the discipline and the intelligence to do that job properly, it, it's made for um, Adam Lallana. Lallana, yeah. Well, I mean, Lallana's, he's incredibly, incredible physically as well, isn't he? I mean, I think he... He ran more than anyone else in the Premier League last last year. Um, he could do it. There's no doubt about it. I think the, the the one thing that Sterling would give you that nobody else does, I think, is he's got that extra bit of of pace, but he can also run with the ball. So if he does win, if he does win the ball off Perlo, he's the one that can go right through a defence with it. Um, that's what excites me about him in that position. I would, I'd still play Rooney, but I'd play him wide. And Lalana White as well. Why would you still play Rooney? I think England needs some experience um, in the attacking line. I think although Wayne Rooney is nowhere near what we hoped he might be at this stage of his career, um, he's still a good player. And the, uh, for me, the anti-Rooney you know, lobby, the, the Rooney backlash, has gone a little bit too far. He still scored more goals than any other English player in the Premier League except for Sturridge last season. He's pretty effective. Um, he's He's a clever player. He played very well with Luke Shaw in one of the games. He dovetailed well with, with Danny Welbeck in another. Um, he's a good footballer, Wayne Rooney. It's just that it, if we didn't have this expectation of, of you know, what, he, what we thought he was going to be at the age of 28, I think everyone would be pretty pleased to have Wayne Rooney around and he would he'd be getting in the team without, uh, without too much debate. I, I think I would drop Rooney. I think maybe he needs some pressure to be taken off him and maybe sitting on the bench for that first game against Italy where if he played everybody would just be talking about him the focus would be on him and, and let's see what Rooney can do and this and that and then maybe it would be actually a good thing for him to, to sit him on the bench for that game and see what happens without him and then there's always two more games in that group stage to bring him back in the team anyway England Italy is not the only game looming I think it would be nice just to say a few words about the opening fixture which is Brazil versus Croatia Brazil are 7-4 on to reach the final Croatia their odds to reach the final are 80-1 to so this is a no-brainer win for the home nation but is, is there something in particular that Brazil need to do Jonathan because well, not every single Brazilian is 100% behind the World Cup, but I'm pretty sure if Brazil started playing beautiful football and looked like they were going to win it, then they wouldn't mind that yeah. there's a building site around the corner, would they? I can't see um, a Scolari team really playing 
particularly beautiful football, but I think they'll be very functional and, and effective, and they'll just have too much for Croatia. I've actually, we did a sweepstake in the press box at Wembley um, at, the, at the Peru game where we all, you know, put in a 50p or whatever and, and, and got a team to, to follow during the World Cup, and I pulled out Croatia, and I must admit I groaned when I did. <laughs> they will struggle to get out of the group. I think I think it's going to be a stodgy one nil, slightly anticlimactic victory by the Brazilians. Julian, cheer us up! It's going to be samba football, isn't it? Mm, well, I'm not so sure. I think I think Scolari and, and Roy Hodgson are probably cousins in somehow <laughs> somehow because I think Scolari likes you know how. To keep the team in the shape and and probably give the ball to Neymar and see what Neymar can do. We saw that in the friendly games. Not that I don't think we should read too much into into friendly games before World Cup. But yeah, I don't think he's one of those wonderful Brazilian team with a lot of skills and a lot of pace and things like that. I think, like like Johnny said, they would be very functional. No, it'd be a waste having you in the studio, Julian, if we didn't talk about France <laughs> and how far they're going to go. Obviously, they're going to win the World yeah, Cup because yeah, they're friendly. That results have been astonishing what was it 8-0 against Jamaica yeah actually the World Cup fact is that the last three teams who played Jamaica before World Cup all won it really yeah I promise, <laughs> I promise. But Eng- England played them in 2006 and didn't yeah, win it true <laughs> so it's spectacularly yeah that's very true but um, yeah. but Italy played them also before that World Cup and, and did win uh, it so okay. yeah but um, no I think France will win it for obvious reasons <laughs> Frank Ribery is a big blow, but but I think that the team has enough talent to, to you know to at least play well without him. Uh, I think we've got a very good young generation with with Pogba and Varane to come through and Griezmann as well, Cabela, Schneiderlin, all those those kids who who don't have much experience at all, but who will bring their enthusiasm, their energy, and and their talent as well. Deschamps is a very good coach. We, I mean, it can't be worse than four years ago where we disgraced ourselves anyway. So um, I think we've got by far the toughest group of the whole World Cup with Honduras, Ecuador and Switzerland. So if we manage to finish, you know, at least win the group, I think we can reach the quarterfinal, probably face Germany now and, and, and again they probably beat us. But quarterfinal will be a very encouraging result, I think, going into the Euros at home in two years. Thank you for listening to the Game Podcast from The Times. Many thanks to my guests, Julian Leron and Jonathan Northcroft. We'll aim to have our guest direct from Brazil every Monday for six weeks. So make sure you press that subscribe button on iTunes so you don't miss out. And read all the latest news from Brazil from The Times. We have the best writers in the business. We'll be back next week. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Tim Montgomery, the presenter of another Times podcast from the opinion pages called Did You Read? It's the perfect weekly snapshot of some of the best writing in the newspaper. Find out more by heading to thetimes.co.uk slash comment central and search Did You Read? to subscribe on iTunes. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs> 